Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Who can remember being five years old? Can you remember being five years old? Some of you that's closer than some of us. What is the best thing about being five? Shout it out. Yes, everything is wonderful about being five years old. Would you agree? Five years old is a great age. I do believe it. Believe it or not, I do remember being five years old. Had some great memories being five years old. But I want you to do something with me. I want you to close your eyes, everybody. This isn't just for the teens. This is for everybody. I've got a story this morning. It's called A Tale of Two Tables. A Tale of Two Tables. And I want you to imagine the five-year-old you. But it's in a different setting than what maybe you grew up in. You live in a palace because your father or actually your grandfather is a king. You have everything you could ever need or want. You have servants who will bring you whatever you need. They will take you wherever you want to go. Every day is an adventure. Your father and your grandpa are great warriors. And you want to be just like them when you grow up. They've gone out to fight a battle. And you know they're going to win. And you can't wait till they return. Because there is always a huge party. But then one night, you're jolted awake. There's chaos. There's shouting. There's rushing down the hallways. Your nanny bursts into the room, grabs you, drags you out of bed, and starts running out the door. And because you're only five years old, you can't keep up. So she picks you up, and she starts running until all of a sudden, slam! You feel yourself falling, and everything goes dark. And so does your life from that moment forward. The accident left you a cripple. You find out your father and your grandfather were killed in battle. And you were sent to live in strangers. Sent to live with strangers because an enemy might come to kill you next. No more palace. Now you live in some out-of-the-way place called nothing. You're disconnected and forgotten. Okay, let me tell you your story. Second Samuel. This is actually a true story. It happened that Saul's son Jonathan had a son who was maimed in both feet. When he was five years old, the report on Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse picked him up and ran. But in her hurry to get away, she fell, and the boy was maimed. 
His name, okay, here you go. We're going to have to say this together. His name was Mephibosheth. Okay, let's hear you ignite. It's C-L-Y. Can you say Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, where'd it go? Well done. Mephibosheth. Say, I am Mephibosheth. Okay, years go by. We're going to pick up the story with King David. I'm reading from 2 Samuel 9. It says, one day David asked, this is many, many years later. One day David asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family? If so, I'd like to show him some kindness in honor of Jonathan. It happened that a servant from Saul's household named Ziba was there. They called him into David's presence. And he said, are you Ziba? And he said, yes, sir. The king asked, is there anyone left from the family of Saul to whom I can show some godly kindness? Ziba said, yes, there is Jonathan's son lame in both feet. Notice he didn't even have his name there. Where is he, David asked. Well, he's living in the home of Makur, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Oh, that's a fun one. Say Lodabar. Lodabar. Now, here's a couple things you need to know about names. They're important. They're not just names. They give an indication to a person's character or a setting or a town's environment, what it was like. So he lived in the house of a guy whose name was Bratlow in a place that meant nothing. This was not a good place where Mephibosheth had been stuck. King David didn't lose a minute. He sent and got him from the home of Makur, son of Amiel in Lodabar. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, came before David, he bowed down deeply, abasing himself, honoring David. David spoke his name Mephibosheth. Yes, sir. Don't be frightened, said David. I'd like to do something special for you. In memory of your father, Jonathan, to begin with, I'm returning to you all the property of your grandfather, Saul. Furthermore, from now on, and here's a key, you'll take all your meals at my table. Shuffling and stammering, not looking him in the eye, Mephibosheth said, who am I that you would pay attention to a stray dog like me? David called in Ziba. He said, everything that belonged to Saul and his family, it's handed over to your master's grandson. You and your sons and servants are going to work the land and bring in everything for him. Your master's grandson from now on will take all his meals at my table. And Ziba, he had 15 sons, 20 servants, and he said, everything that you've said, we will do. Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the royal family. He also had a small son named Micah. All who were part of Ziba's household were now the servants of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem taking all his meals at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. What a crazy story, hey? And we can even ask, well, what in the world does it have to do with me? <laughs> but here's what I want us to see because in some way, we are all in some way like Mephibosheth. Something happened to us that has made friendship or connection or community hard. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're disconnected? That you're isolated? See, for all of us in some way, somebody dropped us. 
Maybe not on your head, like some people say that happened to you. <laughs> but maybe a friend left us. Maybe a friend ditched us. Maybe somebody disappointed us. Maybe a parent left. Maybe somebody broke trust or hurt us. And it broke something in us. It broke our soul. So now our default, instead of being drawn to people and feeling like we have a place at the table, we feel disconnected. We feel isolated. We feel like we're not worthy. We have kind of a same perspective that Mephibosheth had himself. I'm just a dog. Like, why would you have anything to do with me, David? Maybe our default is we hide. Whether physically we just don't ever come out and be with people or we hide behind that little thing that's about a four by six inch plastic metal glass thing. We isolate or we live surface lives. Maybe we don't trust as much as we used to. We feel misunderstood. Anybody relate? Any of those things relate? Any point in time? Absolutely. They relate to me a lot. And see, this isn't just us. It's actually the person beside you. Look at the person beside you. Say, she's talking to you. <laughs> she is talking to you. Now, now that we're all happy and encouraged and it's such a cheerful message, there is a solution. You want to know what the solution is? Well, it's what David did for Mephibosheth. I want you to say this with me. Say, come to the table. There is a place for me at the table. Now look at the person beside you there's a, and say, there's a place for you at the table. Come to the table. Okay, we've been on a series about community. Reclaiming us and we and a culture of you and me. We're trying to become a better reflection of what God has us here on earth for. And that's to represent him, the community, the trinity of who God is in his love and his grace and his kindness to the world to bring them into an experience with God. And you know what? One of the most impacting ways that we can practice this thing called community is food. It's food. You can see we do have food at the table. This is not your breakfast. This is not your lunch or your brunch. We're going to have communion. If you are watching online, we're going to have communion. You might want to get stuff ready for communion in a few minutes. But it's meals with others. Listen to this. The author Tim Chester, he says this. Why are meals with others such an impacting thing? Why? It's just, we're just sitting down. What is so impacting? Well, it's this. Meals slow us down. Some of us don't like that. We like to get things done. Anybody else? You get a dunners? All the getter dunners. Show your hands. Yes. That, okay, we do have several of us. We like to get things done, but meals force you to be people-oriented instead of task-oriented. Sharing a meal isn't the only way to build relationships, but it is actually number one on the list. It's possible to remain at a distance from someone in public gatherings. Now, this is distance not just in proximity physically, but distance in what we share of our lives even in a Bible study. But meals bring you close. You see people in life as they are. Food hanging out of their mouth. Dribbling. Piece of broccoli in their teeth. And they're smiling and talking. And you're like, do I say something? 
You see people as they are, you connect and you communicate. Of all of the big themes in the Bible, prayer, giving, serving, the greatest theme, the most mentioned times, even more than love, is eating. Did you know that? It's mentioned more times than love. Love's pretty big. It's kind of up there. But eating is mentioned more in the Bible than love. Isn't that crazy? One Bible teacher said this. He said, feasting is one of the most common biblical themes from cover to cover to describe what human beings were made for. If you ever wonder what your purpose in life is, it's to have meals with others. Not just to eat the potato chips by yourself in your room. That is not it. We're made to feast, to have food, to have meals with others. So, family supper coming up next week. Great opportunity to practice this. See, in Mephibosheth's case, the table actually transformed his life. It brought him out of hiding. It brought him to a place of belonging. I mean, David didn't even know. Jonathan was David's best friend. And Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And David didn't even know that Mephibosheth existed. He thought everybody in Saul's family, including Jonathan, he knew that Jonathan, his best friend, and the king had been killed. And he thought the whole family had been wiped out. And he's like, is there anybody left? Any chance? But the table was a way that Mephibosheth was reconnected back into the place where he was supposed to be living. So, a couple things. What's so special about the table? Well, number one, it's a way to practice kindness. Look at what David, he's like, is there anybody left from the family of Saul to whom I can show some godly kindness? Now, kindness is one of those virtues that doesn't get a lot of airtime. Would we agree? It, it, it's kind of like when it comes to the virtues, you know, like love and patience. It seems ver, kindness is kind of like, we kind of think it's weak. It's just like there's a lot more stronger virtues to focus on. I should focus on being more loving. I should focus on being more patient. I could really focus on self-control. They're kind of like the strong virtues. But like kindness is like being nice. Like what's that about? Like, how, how, yeah, like, self-control, be nice. It's like, ah, one seems a little bit more important than the other. But here we go. Kindness is actually something I think we've almost forgotten as a society. How many of you would agree? And we've become so conditioned by our consumeristic culture that now our relationships and just casual interactions with people we view them as transactions, and it works like this. What will I get out of it? Is it worth my time? Just think of, just think of the language and some of the thoughts that go through our head. Things like worth. Well, what is that? It's a transaction. It's like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to be there? Is it worth it to show up to church? Is it worth it to, to hang out? Is it worth it to show up? Is it worth it? What am I going to get out of it? It's all a transaction. And if you miss the previous weeks, man, Mike's the, and JD's message is so good about, man, we have this thing. We're in a loneliness epidemic. And part of the reason we've got this loneliness thing going on is because we live transactionally in our relationships. But see, kindness is transforming, but it's not a transaction. Kindness is a gift 
that I give just because. Kindness. It's being considerate. It's concern for others. It's helping. It's smiling. It's generosity. It's being happy to see others, even if you're not. Honestly, that's why it's called, we have to practice it. That's why kindness is a spiritual practice. Why it's, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit because it ain't in us naturally. We have to let the Holy Spirit be kind to us because our kindness is kind of pathetic. Listen to this. In the second century, Christians loved. So second century, that's like in the hundreds AD. 87 or, you know, 150, 120, like in the second century, early years of the church starting. Christians' love was so stunning to the pagans that they called Christians not Christiani, which meant people of Christ, but they called them Christiani, people made of kindness. Isn't that cool? That's what marked the church. It wasn't miracles. It wasn't power. It wasn't even just whatever other, you know, virtues you can think of. It was their kindness. Romans, Romans 2, 4 says that it's God's kindness that he uses to bring us back to him. Having a meal with others might not seem like a big deal, but it's a way that we could show kindness and practice kindness. Sharing your life, your time, your presence with others, that's kindness. Man, teens, you know what? There would be revival in your school this week if you did lunch differently. Like, honestly, that's exactly, that's what it would take. The person sitting by themselves or the person nobody else wants, hey, come and sit with us. Have a meal with us. Your lunchroom would be different. Work environment. Man, if work right now sucks, you don't like going there, try having a meal with others. There's something transforming. How does it work? I don't know. It's a mystery, just like a lot of other things of faith. It's a mystery how this works. It just does. The table, here's another thing. The table is a way that we honor God. See, what David did for the son, he was actually doing for the father. What David did for Mephibosheth, why was he doing something kind? He wanted to honor Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. What we do for others, we do for our father. Jesus, in Luke 9, 48, he said, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. When we are opening up our life in kindness, showing kindness, when we're having a meal with each other, when we're having a meal with others, not just because it's, you know, it's a mindless thing we do, but when we intentionally do this, as a practice, God, I want to do this to really open my life up to others. I want to do this to model what you did. I want to do this to show your kindness. We're actually having a meal with God himself sitting down at the table with us. That's pretty powerful. The table breaks through fear and isolation. Mephibosheth was terrified. Look at this. He came before David, he bowed deeply, and he abased himself. It means he fell flat on his face and said, 
he was so scared. Do you know why he was scared? Because uh, when a new king came into the throne, usually the practice in the foreign nations was all of the heirs of the previous king were killed. Especially if he was a bad king. It's like, we don't want you to threaten the throne. You're all dead. And that's part of the reason why Mephibosheth had been sent away. And so he's coming in. He's actually having to be carried in because he couldn't walk. And so now he's on the ground like this, and his only posture is to get down on his face, and he's petrified of what is David going to do. And he says, who am I? I'm just a dog. Like, what would you have anything to do with me? And David's word were like, Mephibosheth, don't be frightened, man. I think it's so amazing that David invited Mephibosheth. He could have just sent a message saying, you know what? I know your, your grandpa tried to kill me, but hey, we're good. Don't worry about it. But instead, he brought Mephibosheth in. I mean, he was terrified. And you know what? I think this is, again, it's such a great picture how we can relate with Mephibosheth because so many of us are terrified of community. We're terrified of living connected. We're terrified of really being in this, living beyond just surface lives. We kind of come into church and we scoot out again. Or we, we come in and we don't really engage. Or we just kind of like these surface interactions. And we go about life. We don't really engage. We, you go to work. You go to school. We just kind of do our thing. There's not this interaction. Why? We're scared. And what was it? What was at the root of Mephibosheth's fear? He had a wrong picture of himself. I'm just a dog. But he also had a wrong picture of the king. And you know what? This is actually at the root of all isolation and fear. It is not normal to want to isolate from people. I don't care what your personality, what your temperament, what the trauma is of our life. It is not normal to isolate and want to isolate from people. And when that is a default in us, it's an indication something is broken in us. Something broken that Jesus has already healed. See, our, we have this, for us, when we have a wrong idea, a wrong perspective of us and a wrong perspective of our king, where we think God is mad at us, we think we're not good enough, we think all we're focused on is our failures and our sin and how much we don't measure up, when really we don't know, we have such a wrong idea, when we don't know what God really thinks of us. You know what God really thinks of us? He showed us at another table. I want you to fast forward several centuries to another table. Another king was sitting down, having a final meal with his best friends before he was going to suffer the ultimate suffering by taking on and absorbing all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness. And in the most horrific isolation and being completely feeling forsaken by his father and friends. He would die the most brutal death. And in that death, all of that ugly stuff that separates the destructive power of sin, that separates us from God, but also separates us from each other. All of that stuff, he was going to take it, it was going to die with him, and he was going to once and for all, forever for 
every, every human being that was, that had been, and that would be. He would forever free them and liberate us from all sin, all shame, everything that would want to make us hide and isolate and feel, I'm just a dog, I am not worthy. All of that stuff was dealt with at the cross. Every single bit of it. And this is what we remind ourselves of when we have communion. In a moment, I'm going to invite you forward. But I want to read this story. And what we're going to do, I'm going to read the second table story. And then we're going to come up. We're going to take the bread and the the juice. And you can go back to your seat in a moment. And you know what? This is open for every single one of us. If you don't feel comfortable, there's no pressure at all. But God's table is an open table. In fact, Jesus sat down at a table with one of his best friends that he knew was going to betray him. Matthew 26. 26 to 28, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That blood of the covenant, it was, it was like a hyperlink. When the disciples heard that, they knew exactly what it meant. We have trouble with that because we don't really fully, we haven't absorbed and grasped the story that they knew. But the disciples, when they heard blood of the covenant, instantly they would have gone back centuries to where God made a covenant through Moses that he was going to be with them. He had just brought them out of Egypt. And he told Moses, I want you to kill an animal. You're going to take that blood and you're going to all over everybody. It's kind of gross. But the blood was to cleanse so that God could come and actually be with his people. And when they heard the blood of the new covenant, it was also connected to another promise many years past Moses to Jeremiah, where Jeremiah was speaking prophetically of a future day where this new covenant would be enacted, where there would be no more sin, no more division, no more separation. There'd be no more anything to separate us from God and his people. And God's like, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to put my spirit within you and we're going to be together. There is nothing, not shame. There's nothing that you're going to be able to do that will ever be able to separate us there's nothing that you can do and see when Jesus said Paul later on when he said in first Corinthians when he was rehearsing what Jesus had said he said do this in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes see when Jesus was saying do this in remembrance of me he wasn't just saying every time do this bread and cup thing so that you can remember what I did back on Calvary it, he was actually that remembrance of me it's a specific language that means in some way Jesus is present here with us when we sharing the Lord's Supper in communion together he's present with us in a different way than what he is normally 
And when Paul said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, what this means is as we are sharing in communion together, we are announcing to every power, to every principality, to every force of darkness that what Jesus did on the cross was a victory and he is now king. He is now Lord. There is no shame over us. There is no sin. There is no, there is no bondage. There is nothing that separates us. The victory that Jesus did on the cross was complete. We just need to receive it. What Jesus did, he gave us a forever place at the table. And he did it not just for us, but so that we could live this way, offering that to others. I want you to stand. And I want you to just start coming forward and to the back of the room, there's tables. Come up and get a piece of bread, get a cup. And then stand at your seat. Just go back to your seat. We're going to pray in a moment and we're going to receive. We're going to share communion together. I'm guessing in this room or maybe watching online, there's probably some who you don't know how forgiven you really are. How accepted, how loved, how cherished you are in God's eyes. You're no longer a captive, and this is for every single one of us. You're no longer a captive. You no longer have to hide. You're not outsiders. You're not forgotten. You have a forever place at God's table. And this is what we mean when we say, do you know you're a Christian? Are you saved? What is salvation? Well, it's recognizing I am loved, I have been forgiven, and I'm part of a family that lives freely and brings others in and I live on mission with Jesus and if you want to say yes to this gift of salvation can we all pray together church let's pray together and just this prayer of saying yes Jesus I say yes to the salvation gift just say that together say Jesus thank you through your life and death and your resurrection I am no longer a captive I no longer have to hide because of sin and shame. I thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness that you brought me out of captivity and I have a forever place in belonging to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God, thank you. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.